Hi, uh, my name is Anna and I am your guide to the world of environmental sustainability, climate resilient, green and circular economy, corporate social responsibility and much more. Warm welcome to my podcast, everyone. The podcast is Sustainability Explored and today we are recording the episode number 12. Today we're having a very special guest, one of the first listeners and active supporters of this podcast, Lincoln Blevins, Global Progressive Pragmatic Energy and Sustainability Executive, Thought Leader and Communicator, Writer and Speaker. Lincoln, am I correct? This is what my LinkedIn research gave me. Yes, that's that's my summary. but uh, of course, you know you have a you have a great career, and then you try to uh, to summarize it into a few words, and that's what I came up with. So introduce yourself a little bit more, so that the listeners understand who you are, what you were involved now, and how you came to where you are at the moment in your career. Uh, sure. Um, yes, uh, my name is Lincoln Blevins. I am, uh, am uh, recording this from from Burbank, California, in the United States. I have spent about 25 years in the global energy industry. I started out doing uh, power plant projects all over the world, uh, uh, Asia, uh, Central America, South America, North Africa, uh, the Middle East, um, and am now an executive at a utility in Burbank. Uh, So we're in Southern California, and being in California, we have a mandate uh, to be really at the cutting edge of renewables, uh, renewable energy and sustainability. And our utility, Burbank Water and Power, has been extremely successful in doing that, both from a power supply standpoint, as well as the business practices and the facilities that we have here uh, that we work in. And uh, my job is uh, here is a, is a wonderfully diverse job. Uh, I uh, am responsible for renewable and conventional power supply, uh, the operation of power plants, the operation of our uh, power system, but also the long-term planning that goes into making that a success. So not just thinking about real-time immediate issues, but planning out 10, 20, 30 years uh, as California and the world changes drastically. Um, My view is that the utility business, the electricity business will change more in the next 10 years than it has in the last 100 years. And we are really on the cutting edge of that here. What kind of changes are you expecting uh, in terms of energy sector in California? Well, it's it's a very interesting circumstance where uh, both the supply side and the demand side are changing at the same time. On the supply side, we're seeing a move into renewables, uh, particularly solar energy, that is much larger and much quicker, I think, than a lot of people expected. So our, our power plants, our, our power, power supply has gone from predominantly 
uh, fossil fuels and predominantly dispatchable, controllable energy to uh, increasingly renewable. We're at 33% renewable now. I expect to be at uh, 66% or more, two-thirds or more within the next uh, six or seven years. And all of almost all of that is intermittent. So it's solar and it's wind that uh, we just don't have control over. Uh, we're going to have to add a lot of storage, but that too is a, is a new frontier uh, for the power system in large part. So that's so things are changing radically on the supply side, but at the same time, the customer uh, needs and the customer watts are changing radically too. Um, I was just, uh, uh, I've been talking a lot to school kids about energy and college students about energy and the level of understanding of uh, renewables and of climate change and how electricity fits into sustainability in general is just extraordinary. Uh, when I was a kid, we really didn't know where power came from and we really didn't care um, as long as it, you turn the light switch or you plug something into the wall. And now the level of, of awareness, both at the uh, individual level, but also at the corporate level, is much, much higher. Uh, and they are very, very interested in moving to a clean energy supply as quickly as possible, but also controlling uh, their their electricity experience as much as possible, uh, whether through time of use rates or uh, solar panels on their roofs or what have you. So we're seeing that in the context of a, of a technology explosion where the tools that we now have, both on the supply side and the customer side, are allowing us to do very, very interesting things. But it's really a, a, a brave new world for for the power system, both for those of us on the utility side and uh, the customers. I see. I remember, like, interesting that you have to mention uh, public awareness campaigns, your lectures uh, uh, at the schools and universities. I'm following LinkedIn, and I see you're constantly giving keynotes, lectures somewhere at the conferences. And I remember when I invited you for a podcast interview, you immediately came up with the with this super interesting topic for our today's discussion that I, I'm really uh, very eager to explore today, jobs in sustainability. Um, I don't remember, as you mentioned now, I, myself in my childhood, I don't remember also knowing where the power came from. My grandma used to... Uh, turn on the the gas uh, in case she won't ever wanted to make a tea. So she she would turn the gas and never turn it off. That's how cheap it was and how careless the the attitude was towards the the gas supply. Same with the electricity. The price was quite cheap, so she would keep the all the lights in the apartment on, uh, regardless of where the family would spend most of the time in which room. Well, definitely not in all three of them or two of them. So. I, you, you say the the power system planning, uh, the whole idea of switching 
from fossil fuels towards renewable energy is changing rapidly in the in the recent years whether the human supply human resource supply is ready are people uh, is there enough workforce in the market to keep up with this pace i i believe there is i i find that uh, when i go out to uh, recruit uh, you know to hire someone for a new job what i'm finding is that uh, the workforce is very very comfortable not just with the technologies themselves but with the rate of change in technology uh, especially um, the generation that's that's currently coming into the workforce they're they're really they're not just looking um, they're not just comfortable with the technology the technology is part of their the air that they breathe so to speak but they're also mm-hmm. uh, not just comfortable with the rate of change, but they're very eager for the rate of change, which is really exciting. Um, there's a there's a sense of innovation in in this this current generation that uh, is really really exciting. People people want change. They want things to improve, and they want to be the ones who improve them. And that to me, that mindset is what gets us that that desire to personally improve things is the mindset that will get us through this transition uh, in the in well, I call it the age of climate change but uh, it's going to require massive transitions in everything we do and and I'm I'm very optimistic that this uh, it's not going to be my generation I'm, I'm 52 years old we're going to be we're going to be helping it along but the real engine the real driver of the change will be um, the generation that's coming into the workforce now. All right. The the job like sustainability officer, uh, since when you can remember it started existing in the market? In in the case of Ukraine, not, uh, it's not, uh, you know, to my memory, on my memory, it started. I, I started seeing it uh, on the what is it called job postings? Not more than five, seven years ago. Where I am? How about California? When did you? When did people actually switch their mindset towards sustainability rather than? I don't even know how to frame this question rather than, you know, old way of doing things, uh, including environmental, social governance issues in the companies, uh, strategies, companies planning plans, uh, management plans and so on. When when did it happen in California? It's uh, I think California has uh, we we pride ourselves on, on being on the cutting on the front end of these things, on the cutting edge. But True. it really, in, in my experience, it, it really didn't happen substantively until very recently. Um, I was living in, in New York when uh, the big hurricane, Hurricane Sandy, came through. And that was a real, this was in 20, fall of 2012. That was a real wake-up call. Um, there were there were huge floodings, uh, floods in Houston, Texas. Uh, that was a huge, I think, a huge wake-up call. And 
but I, I really haven't seen it in um, substantively until very recently. I think there it's been talked about for, as you said, probably five to seven years. I think the biggest challenge there, though, mm-hmm. is that companies create often created chief sustainability officer or similar similar roles, but they didn't really have any power. Um, they didn't have uh, an ability to change things um, in a substantive way. In other words, they were they were there and they had this great title, but they they didn't have the ability, the authority to to really change things in the company that they were working for. I think that's that thankfully is correcting itself now. I think companies, especially the more progressive companies, are not just hiring chief sustainability officers, but really, really doing it, giving those individuals and those teams the power to make changes. Um, and that, to me, that's that's very exciting. But it, I think we went from the appearance, uh, the appearance of, of sustainability effort, and I think now uh, we're, we're really moving into the era of, of truly making a difference. So would it be correct to say that it did not really exist and didn't have um, a real power, such um, positions in sustainability market uh, until your region specifically, California, started to face fires and see the evidence of climate change? I, the, certainly that's been... That's been uh... I'm trying to think of the right the right analogy. It's been almost a turbocharger or a supercharger on mm-hmm. that effort. Um, it the the mood and is is changing. I think in in a lot of parts of California, we actually I think have a very European view of climate change. We see it as reality and we see ourselves being part of the problem. And therefore we see ourselves being responsible for part of the solution. Um, that sense of, of acknowledgement and that sense of responsibility has I've been slower to take hold in other parts of the US, I think. Um, there's certainly a big political divide mm-hmm in the U.S. over the issue. And, but, but certainly in California, we, uh, California, New York, uh, the Northeast in particular, have been, uh, have been on the front end. And I think now the rest of the country is starting, starting to acknowledge it. And I think you, you have to acknowledge it before you start to feel responsible for it. And you have to be, feel responsible for it before, before you really take uh, big actions to, to help mitigate it. So that's, um, that, that's, that's happening, but I, I just wish it were happening faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard recently an interesting saying, nature will adapt itself to the climate change. The question is whether humanity will still be there. I I, I, I understand that view. I think my view is, and maybe this is because I'm a, a utility person or, a, or, or an infrastructure person, but 
I I believe that that humanity will still be here. Uh, it's just the the conditions under which we live are going to be radically different. And I think they're going to be different. They're going to change at a rate that we can we can see and we can feel. If you look at at, at prior changes in the climate, um, they they didn't happen that quickly, I don't think. And, and, and the change that is, is 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 coming now is going to happen within generations as opposed to across generations, and that's going to be a real shock. I, there was a great, uh, great, uh, terrifying, but, but very, 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 uh, very, very good study of coastal cities recently and what, where the coastlines, where the ocean will be in 30 years. And it's absolutely catastrophic. You have this incredible move towards urbanization, people moving from the countryside into the cities. At the same time that you have all these coastal cities going underwater um, over the next few decades, and I think human beings will survive, but there is uh, the the fight over resources and the mitigation measures that we mm-hmm. need to take to pr- preserve space, living space, and preserve our food supply, uh, preserve our the landscape that keeps us alive is going to be uh, it, it's going to be a shock um, I, I believe I recently also came across uh, recently meaning in the in the last couple of years uh, came across the term climate refugees I believe it didn't exist like let's say two three four years ago now it keeps popping the media more and more. Uh, do you see that happening, that stream, that trend, people leave in California or on the contrary, um, coming from other regions, other states to California? I, I, What change do you observe? No, I think yeah. the, um, at least for California, the, the trend seems to be um, mostly inward. I think our, our population keeps growing um, but on a, on a broader basis I do, I do think that the term climate refugee as you said it didn't it didn't even exist a few years ago and I I think we're we're all going to be using that phrase very frequently um, whether it's your whether it's escaping drought you know not enough water on the one hand or escaping rising sea levels mm-hmm. too too much water on the other hand, um, the, the the shifts in in global populations will really be astounding, and uh, there will be economic pressures, there will be food supply uh, pressures, but also it's going to be a real test of our ability to get along with each other as a species. Um, I think there's a there's a real risk that ethnic tensions, racial tensions, political tensions um, will will make it very very difficult um, to 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 rebuild societies um, in the context of, of mass migration, those climate refugees. 
what do you see as a you know on top of your mind a list of solutions who should take charge of who should take the responsibility how should this chief sustainability officers because it's still on us on the environmentally conscious environmentally and socially conscious people the burden is upon us to deliver the message properly and correctly and you know even i see a lot of climate deniers and i i see that i i don't know how to respond to that i still don't have a proper speech that would reach the minds of people who are just against just you know they don't understand and they don't want to understand what would be the you know the list of very basic actions that maybe everyone could take to help the situation today that's that's a great question i think and i, and I think you've identified the the there are a couple of elements there there's the communication element but then there's also the mitigation you know what can we do to slow climate change down and then the adaptation element um when you talk about communication i i've really struggled with this um because we have uh, you know a very diverse population here in burbank and i you know part of my job is to communicate with everyone not just the people who agree with me or are already talking about mm-hmm. um what what i've found it it sounds very simple but it's it's, it's it ends up being very powerful that you really when you talk about climate change you really have to start from where your audience is i think when we talk about things it's so easy to start where we are and with our understanding and with our perceptions of the world and our beliefs the the key to communicating something this momentous and this complicated in my experience is really empathy um you have to start with where your audience is and you have to you have to think about the message in in the context of your audience and not the context of your own understanding um and what you end up with there is it it may be it may be impossible at the beginning to talk about greenhouse gases and talk about climate change itself so perhaps you need to start with uh air pollution as a first step um because that that is much more uh much more present much more noticeable with people um that this this I cannot agree more <laughs> and so i i think i think you have to start you know start where people are start with empathy and work from there but then you know the the chief sustainability officer is is really focused on i think two things one is mitigation in other words what can we do uh as an organization to uh mitigate climate change whether it's our power supply or our supply chain uh or the way we operate uh our factories or our buildings or what have you how we travel when we travel all of those things so those are the mitigation steps but i i think there's it's equally important to look at adaptation 
And those are the steps that we need to take to, uh, whether it's infrastructure or, or what have you, to mitigate the effects of, of climate change on the, not just our own operations as a company, but also on our customers, because we need them to, it's, it's no good if the company thrives and the customer doesn't. Uh, you have to have uh, uh, a thriving company and a thriving customer. And so working on those mitigation measures um, is, uh, is, is crucial as well. I see. So mostly communication and leaving your own bubble, taking the side, hearing the other side of the conversation and doing the most to empathetically deliver the message. You mentioned air pollution. Uh, I noticed it even myself uh, and recently have installed the application on my phone that tracks uh, air quality indices index every hour and sends me the notification whether uh, from the nearest monitoring point and I should say wow that's that's where the digital world uh, brought us you see we, we now who could have thought that I would be tracking air quality next to where I spent my days Another question I have, I, I get to work with students and uh, trainees a lot. Uh, and something that has been bothering me for a while is that people uh, leave in the universities after four or five years of studies do not have enough practical experience, enough cases where they would be able to apply somehow their skills and acquired knowledge. Uh, and they leave their universities with degrees, debts, and despair that they are not needed in the world, um, in, the, in the market, in the workforce market, because they don't know anything. Is it worse today in the modern world to learn about sustainability or are you more uh, on the side of learning by doing concepts? I, uh, I, I am really more of, well, I, 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 think it's, I think it's both really. I think that um, the education system has a very important role to play in, in that creating that awareness um, Although now that awareness is, is really in every aspect of our lives in a lot of cases. So as you said, even the you know even with with air pollution, which is which is part of it, uh, the apps and uh, and the tracking mechanisms. But I, I really think my my view uh, might be unusual, but that is that really every job is a sustainability job. I I see sustainability choices in literally everything we do. Um, you know, I, I, I got my cup of coffee this morning and I put it in uh, a mug, a ceramic permanent uh, mug, as opposed to a paper cup mm -hmm. or a plastic cup. Um, and that was a very, it's become a very conscious choice. But I also realized that 
you know, by using something that I have to wash, that I'm putting more detergent, you know, into the into the environment too. So it's not perfect. Um, but I really see every everything that we do and every job that we do as a sustainability job. I think whether you are working in a factory or working in a shop or making choices as part of a corporation or part of an organization, that literally every choice you make has a sustainability element. Um, I'm, I'm looking around my office here and looking at things that were, uh, you know, uh, things that were shipped from China, you know, across the world. And they're inexpensive to buy, but you can look at um, your smartphone, for example. I call it, I call it my brain, but uh, you can look at your smartphone and realize that that piece of equipment contains parts from all over the world, um, that those parts were all shipped usually in containers on big uh, ocean-going ships that burn very, very nasty oil uh, fuel. And um, they were put together. How were they put together? Were they uh, were the factories running on um, uh, coal-fired power or more renewable power? Um, how did they get to the store where I bought them? How did they run the store? Um, you can look at, at everything that uh, you know when I when I buy uh, some uh, some fruit that. Isn't, isn't in season here in California. Uh, maybe it came from South America. And if you think about the, the carbon footprint of that piece of fruit, it's, it's pretty astounding, um, pretty amazing. So I think, I think every job has that. And I think every job that we do, you can think about and impact from a sustainability perspective. Uh, I really believe that using using less, less paper in a printer, you know, trying to print things. Mm -hmm. Every, literally every choice that we make, everything that we do or we don't do has a sustainability aspect, uh, if you really think about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much in favor of, of whether your, your job says, says sustainability in it or not, um, every job is mm -hmm. a sustainability job. One advice you would give to those who want to enter sustainability job market, who want to have sustainability impact in the corporation, where to go, what to look for, how to present yourself. Mostly asking this question for the students and trainees that I get have. Yeah, I think I think they're they're they're. I think there are two ways I can suggest two, two ways to go about that. One is to become very, very good at sustainability itself. And that's, that's politics. That is economics. That is uh, a whole lot of science, um, sociology, psychology. There are a lot of, you know, sustainability has so many, so many different elements to it, but I, and I think you can, 
if you wanted to, you could create that sort of focus where you become a sustainability expert on a standalone basis. Mm -hmm. I think the bigger impact, though, at least for now, is not to become a sustainability expert so much as to be become expert in something where sustainable where you can have a sustainability impact and i'll use i'll use ocean shipping uh, as an example again um, that's an industry that is really the, the the heartbeat of the global economy we, we couldn't live without it and yet it is so incredibly polluting um, airplane travel is the, is the same way and the industries are really struggling for solutions um, to, to mitigate that and to change that. And the, the people who create those solutions, the people who really change the world for those industries, won't be sustainability experts per se. They will be experts in, um, in engines and propulsion. They'll be experts in... Um, the logistics that go into that business. They'll be experts in perhaps localizing uh, supply chains so you don't have to touch the boat or the, or, the, or the airplane in the first place. And I think that's actually where the bigger impact is right now. I think becoming expert in a field that where, where sustainability is needed, um, that's the only way you're going to make that field more sustainable because you've got to become expert in it before you can before you can change it um, you know the musicians will say you, you have to know the rules before you can break the rules um, and yeah. so I think I think that's where the big impact is now I, I don't know if that'll uh, that will hold but I'm, I'm guessing it will I'm guessing it will you know you, again you look around every single thing in our world, has a sustainability element to it, and you have to be expert in that thing before you can you can uh, you can discover that and implement that sustainability impact. Yeah. So first, going deeply, let's say in the technological process to find the elements that can be or pieces of that process that can be changed into a more sustainable way of working. Uh, that's exactly correct. Right. Amazing. Well, it was very interesting talking to you. We are reaching now the end of the podcast episode, as we have agreed to thirty uh, to half an hour, thirty plus some minutes. Um, but it's been a very interesting conversation. I would talk to you hours on end. Thank you very much, Lincoln, for your time, input, and for your all the effort that you put in your work. You're, you're very, very welcome. It's, it's been a pleasure to be on the program. Thank you so much. And um, happy weekend, happy oncoming weekend to you uh, and to our listeners too. You have been listening to the episode number 12 on jobs and sustainability on Sustainability Explored. Goodbye, goodbye. Mm -hmm.